not a predator, that's a sports hunter. Well, we took a vote. Predator's cooler, right? <laughs> Fuck yeah. Welcome to Arnie Geddon. I'm Cam Smith. And I'm Tony G. And we are here this week for a double feature, a Predator double feature. First up, we're going to talk about 2010's Predators, produced by Robert Rodriguez. And we're going to follow that up with a discussion of Shane Black's recent The Predator from this year of 2018. Ooh la la. I know. Well... Tony, normally we like to do these offshoot movies on the every 10th episode or so. Well, normally. Normally, but with the... I think we've only had one. (laughs) But we did Predator 2 for episode 10. And, you know, with The Predator in theaters now, we felt like it was important to get it out while this movie was in a dwindling number of screens by the day. Well, I hope that uh, The Predator is still in theaters now... By the time we actually release this podcast. I'm hoping it's in theaters by the time we finish recording this podcast. (laughs) Part of me wishes it was never in theaters, but we'll get to that. (laughs) Yeah, so what we're going to do is, first up, we're going to talk about the movie Predators, directed by Nimrod Antel from 2010. And then, you know, in about half an hour or so, we're going to talk about The Predator. So if you haven't watched The Predator yet, you're safe until, you know, half an hour or so. And we'll give... A very noticeable warning as to when we're going to move into The Predator. So, Tony, let's start off with Predators from 2010. This is a movie that really was an attempt to revive a dead franchise because... What? I know. It had been, like, what, 20 years since the last Predator movie with Predator 2 coming out in 1990. I know that's crazy, right? I think it was a little shorter than that. I think we had uh, AVP. That doesn't count. I don't know what you're talking about. What what does AVP stand for? (laughs) Uh, <laughs> Arnold vs. Predator? Yes, in 1987. I saw that movie. Yeah, exactly. And don't forget AVP 2. Uh, that was... Uh, Danny, uh, <laughs> uh, we're, running, we're running on fumes here, just like those two movies. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But um, this movie was actually kind of in the works since 94. Robert Rodriguez pitched an idea of this movie to the studio and said he would write it. This was in the time where he was working on Desperado. And the studio was like, eh, too expensive. I don't think Predator was a uh, priority for them. Well, and at the time, I mean, was Robert Rodriguez still really a a pre-Desperado Rodriguez? Was he still really the guy to pick up a franchise like Predator in the early 90s and make it happen? Yeah, I'm sure they watched El Mariachi and they were like, yeah, it's a good movie. But, uh, you know. But you're going to need more than 20 grand for this one. Yeah, yeah. And so they shot him down. But then all those years later, they decided, you know what? Let's do it. And so this movie happened... Fairly modest budget. It cost $40 million because, you know, Robert Rodriguez works cheap. And, uh, you know, he made this movie happen for $40 million, largely by shooting 60% of it in his hometown of Texas. It was not a hit. It wound up making $52 million domestic, which is okay. But in 2010 box office, that's pretty weak. Uh, it was 66th for the year, um, sandwiched in between Hubble 3D... <laughs> I think that, you know, we usually do these sandwiched between bits on our yeah. show. I think that's the the most obscure movie <laughs> that has ever been the top bread of the sandwich. Yeah, Hubble 3D beat it, but uh, it was just above Hot Tub Time Machine. But uh, some of the other movies that outgrossed it were like 
the Owls of Gahul, <laughs> and the Tooth Fairy starring The Rock, which was at one point going to be a Schwarzenegger vehicle, tying it all back to Arnie Geddon. And then, uh, you know, the, that same year, the movie Expendables came out, and it was number 28. Tooth so, Fairy, that was post-hair loss, but uh, pre-dignity loss rock. That's correct, that's correct. Um, or right on the cusp there, because I'm pretty <laughs> sure Tooth Fairy pushed him over the edge on both. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you can hear more about the year of 2010 box office in our Expendables episode. We go a little more in depth, but basically that year, the top five are like Toy Story 3, Alice in Wonderland, the Disney version, uh, Iron Man 2, Twilight, Eclipse... And Harry Potter, Deathly Hallows 1. Like, a lot of big franchise stuff. And Predators, it was just too little too late. I remember it came out kind of later in the summer. I went with a friend. And my recollection was we both walked out being like, yeah, that was kind of fun. And then we immediately forgot about it. It really felt like that was the way the world reacted to the movie while it was in theaters. It got a lot of kind of like B-, C- reviews. And a lot of people just uh, ripped on it. Just said, I was just ripping off the original it's kind of a pale imitation. It's okay at best. And well, then it just kind of vanished. Well, and I can speak to that because I remember it being a movie I was quite excited about and really meaning to go see. Yeah. And, and, I, I, went, and I never did. I went without you, yeah. Yeah. And then uh, I remember being pretty excited that, oh, you know, I'm, I'm going to check this out when it comes out on DVD. Yeah. And I never did. So full confession. Yeah. I actually had never seen... Uh, Predators until we watched it together for this podcast. I think that's perfect because you don't have the sort of the baggage of the way that people reacted to it at the time. There's actually a podcast I recorded reviewing Predators in depth from, I don't know, whatever year, 2010 when this came out. What was so, the name of this podcast? Should we dig it oh up? Oh my god, the Epicast. And there is an episode out there of me reviewing this movie and I haven't listened to it since 2010 but I'd be very curious to hear what I have to say. But Tony, for you, watching this movie for the first time, what was your take? You know what? I thought it was pretty enjoyable. I, I had the ignominious pleasure of, uh, or displeasure, of watching Predators shortly after watching The Predator in the theater so that we could do this podcast. And uh, without spoiling too much about what we're going to be talking about later, uh, Predators is a far superior movie to The Predator. Right. And And what you were saying is true. There's... This movie is, well, I won't say a remake. Right. They certainly took liberally from the 1987 Predator, but I don't think it hurt the movie at all. And really, uh, it's a pretty fast-paced, gripping action movie. Uh, you know, halfway decent character development for an action movie, or at least the kind of band of misfits action movie that this is. And I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it added quite a bit to the predator franchise and didn't drag it all i'm surprised it got the poor reviews that it did actually what i like is it really does hone in on what the essence of that original predator is you know a group of kind of tough guys and a girl in this case as well being hunted by a predator species i mean i think that premise works and i think predator 2 you see it get a little mucky where like danny glover's trying to track a predator because it killed his partner and stuff like that it's just not that interesting this gets down right to the essence of that but at the same time while you can say yes it's replicating the original it's adding new elements of mythology where you have you know like a, a game preserve where they're actually being hunted in you have more technology like they have drones they travel in packs of three we see the first predadogs mm -hmm. and i really enjoy how it takes the basic framework of the original but introduces new ideas I like the theme of them hunting these, you know, people who have been born out of violence, whether they're killers 
or you know soldiers that sort of thing i think yeah. that's a fun idea it's it's kind of a deadliest game but with predators which is i think a really neat twist i'm surprised that it was as criticized as it was do you think this movie deserves a better legacy than it's had up until this point because no one really talks about this movie anymore i really do i mean when you take a look at the cast and who was in it i mean uh, adrian brody is a strong leading man and by the way i had no idea that adrian brody could get in that kind of shape right yeah yeah um it was a surprise at the time because he you know had his oscar win with that movie the pianist a few mm -hmm. years earlier that's right and he kind of petered out like he wasn't i just don't think his agent was really sending him the best scripts and then he came kind of back with this movie after being away for maybe a year or so, a couple years, and it was like, whoa, Adrian Brody is very different than last time we saw him. Mm -hmm. And I think he's actually really credible. And he was like, kind of ridiculed a lot at the time for this movie. But, you know, when you read interviews with Rodriguez and Nimrod Antel, like, they did not want a Schwarzenegger type at all. They felt like that would just be cheap to try and, you know, cast The Rock or something like that. By the way, I'll just throw in there, of all the people who maybe should have picked a stage name, mm. uh, Nimrod Antel. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, good for you for sticking with your name. Um, I mean, other people in this movie, I mean, Topher Grace, is kind of, when I saw his name on, uh, attached to this, I was kind of thinking, I mean, that's a bit of a weird choice, but uh, he's suitable for the character that he plays the dorky doctor type i actually like him a lot yeah i think he's an underrated actor and mm -hmm. that he brings a lot comedically but he's also credible like he can play a good creep and i think he's fun playing a serial killer in this well <laughs> spoiler alert yeah <laughs> yeah um alice braga uh walton goggins uh, Lawrence Fishburne, Danny Trejo. I mean, there's a lot of people who have been around the block and know their way around yeah. the front of a camera here. And it shows. And you have some talent like Mahershala Ali, who would go on to become an Oscar-winning actor, you know, with Moonlight just a couple years ago. Right. And he was amazing in that movie. And it's kind of fun to see him in a very disposable kind of one-note role. But he brings a lot to it. Like, I think this cast... And this is something we'll be discussing when we get into The Predator. Yeah, Is this will. cast <laughs> brings a lot of personality to, you know, very threadbare characters. Like, there's not a lot of dimension here. But, you know, I think it's really smart in giving them all these kind of different backgrounds. You know, one's a Yakuza guy. One is, you know, a cartel guy. One's a soldier. You know, they all have various backgrounds. Uh, I, I, you know what? To be honest, I loved that conceit in this yeah. movie. Where, uh, I mean, the movie opens... With Adrian, Bro I thought it was a great opening. With Adrian Brody's character Royce, uh, who we don't find out his name till the end, yeah. uh, just being, you know, falling through the sky and being parachuted into this jungle, and then this group of people trying to figure out uh, what's going on. Of course, the movie's named Predators. Yeah, and uh, they are the predators as well. That oh yes, that's a, it's little, a double meaning. A little on the nose. I like it though. It's clever. I mean, yeah. they weren't just happy to just slap the name on there and just be like, yeah, yeah you know, let's just keep it simple and just do something stupid. Like, you know, they were trying to do something a little bit clever in a B-movie kind of way. I think that's fun. Yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, just having this collection of uh, people who are all hyper-violent in different ways from, yeah. you know, different backgrounds of hyper-violence, uh, I thought that was spectacular. As far as getting the movie off on the right pace, yeah. you know, having the movie start with all of them at each other's throats and then uh, finally f figuring out that they're being hunted by the Predator, uh, open parentheses, S, close parentheses. <laughs> yeah. My only regret is that Danny Trejo didn't get more to do. Uh, or Danny Glover. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, they wanted to work in a Schwarzenegger cameo, 
But there's no mention of them wanting to do a Danny Glover cameo. <laughs> Him just jumping out of Arnold Schwarzenegger's chest. Yeah. A they've, double cameo. They've said since that this movie is set after The Predator. So I guess this is at some undetermined point in the future still. I don't really know how that works. Well, I mean, I guess they can set this wherever they want because it yeah. is on an alien planet. Well, what did you think of that idea of putting them on a game preserve on an alien planet? Yeah, I thought that was pretty cool, actually. I mean, as far as big reveals go, I mean, you kind of get a suspicion from, you know, the movie having been released now for 10 years and reading the back of the DVD box. Sure. Uh, But the the big reveal when they they come out on the hilltop and there's the um, multiple planets looking over and it becomes very clear that they're not uh, not on uh, Earth. Right. Uh, despite the very Earth-like characteristics, the very <laughs> the very Everglades Hawaiian uh, yeah. look about the place, or Austin, Texas. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was super cool. I thought it would, you know, as far as what are you going to do if you're going to put them in the jungle again uh, in a sci-fi movie? You know, hell, why not put them in the jungle on another planet? I do love that shot of all the different planets in yeah, the sky. It's, it's super cool. It's a, for a you know a forty million dollar B movie. I think that's a really smart way to establish an otherworldly setting in a single shot that shot is so effective that you carry it with you the rest of the movie it immediately just solves that question of like you know are they going to think this is just set on earth it's like boom you never think about it as earth again through the rest of the movie Mm -hmm. so i really enjoy that now who are to you the standouts in the cast like who did you enjoy the most because when we talk about the original predator so much talk is had about you know are you big into the jesse ventura character or carl weathers like who are the cool ones Sonny Landham. I mean, except for his bizarre rape monologue, I thought Walton Goggins was exceptional. Yeah, that's the sort of monologue that, boy. Yeah, anytime you're anytime you're dropping uh, rape jokes for a comedic value in a movie that doesn't have a lot of jokes, right? Yeah, it comes off as being a little bit in in poor taste, maybe a little insensitive. I mean, I thought. I mean, I'm with you though. I thought Danny Trejo was pretty fun in it as the uh you know dual submachine gun wearing uh mexican cartel bandito right yeah like i said walton goggins was was pretty enjoyable i thought alice braga and adrian brody and and for that matter Topher grace did a good job yeah i think um brody and alice braga have kind of the thankless jobs like they yeah, have to they play do. the more straight lace characters mm-hmm, for sure and alice braga has a moment that you know I don't think there's a lot in the script that really strikes me as hugely clunky, but there is a moment where she starts giving backstory on the original Predator, and I'm like, how does this character have this information? Yeah, I mean, I don't know how she would know that. I don't think it really matters that much. Uh, I actually like the nod out to the, you know, if, if you can't have a, a short scene of your cameo, at least have a, a brief expository reference to six guys and a CIA agent <laughs> in the jungle who have described this thing. I, I guess maybe they have police sketches of this thing in the IDF uh, <laughs> bunkers. I would love to sit in on the moment where Schwarzenegger is describing the Predator to a sketch artist. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's got these big teeth. No, I'm... bigger. Big. You're not listening to me. Smaller. <laughs> like dreadlocks. <laughs> Anyways, we're we're not known for our Schwarzenegger impressions on Arnie Geddon, unfortunately. Not yet. Not yet, but soon. <laughs> um, now, the Predator as a concept works incredibly well in Predator 1. Predator 2, we talked about how we liked the introduction of new weapons and new tactics for the Predator. That's right. When you get to the third film, 
it's hard to make a movie monster still scary or feel, you know, novel or fun in a, you know, you look at, say, like, the Friday the 13th movies or the Nightmare on Elm Streets. You know, at that point, your boogeyman kind of becomes a Space little... Jason. Well, that's why I like, what, part 10. <laughs> but it becomes a little familiar and you're looking more for humor or laughs as opposed to actual scares. Do you think the Predators still worked in this movie as a force of, like, scariness? I mean, I think so. I mean, they did spend a little long, although... I mean, at the time, it bugged me a little bit watching this movie, but they did spend a little long revealing the Predator. They, you know, I think they made the movie as if somebody hadn't seen Predator before or any of the other Predator movies. Yeah. Um, I mean, you knew they were going to pop out and be wearing uh, uh, that optic camouflage. Uh, you weren't at all confused about what that <laughs> raven-like clicking sound might be, but they, but they certainly played it like you would be. I found, though, that they actually were fearsome in this movie. I liked how they were dressed up with, like, the bones or, you know, tusks or whatever of, yeah, their, was, of yeah, their prey. That was super cool. It gave each of them a distinct look. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I feel like the other Predator movies haven't done as well, as often they felt, like, kind of just the same thing recycled. Whereas, like, these ones each felt distinct. And then you had, as well, the classic Predator, who they were using as bait. And he was played by Derek Mears, who I referenced Friday the 13th earlier. Uh, he played Jason in the 2009 Friday the 13th. And he was really cool in that movie because Jason was actually fast. And, uh, you know, I think he brings some cool physicality to the classic Predator. But I like having this sort of dichotomy of the classic Predator, who's the smaller version, and the bigger ones who, they don't look worlds apart in terms of, you know, their, their physical appearance. But they look just different enough that you can totally buy them as existing on the same planet, but being of a similar species. Or as they describe them as uh, the difference between wolves and dogs. In the yeah. Movie. What did you think about, you know, there is, and I'm just going to go through some of them in, here, um, because I don't want to spend too much time on Predators. Mm -hmm. But uh, there was a number of scenes in this film that basically were almost shot for shot, or at least nods back to the original Predator. Um, there is the the log trap and spike trap nod. Yeah, that's the, the one set up by another soldier who's been stranded there. That, that's right. Boy, how long do you think it took him to like tie all those wooden stakes up in the ceiling? Yeah, he or must, up in the sky. He must have had a pretty sharp knife. <laughs> that would take <laughs> years of your life. Uh, there is references to you know they're they're shooting in all directions. It just doesn't make any sense. Uh, sure. You know the scene where they roll down the hill into the and then drop off the cliff into the body of water. I actually really liked the um, the samples that they had of Bill Duke from the original saying over here. Mm -hmm. Didn't really make sense how they how the predator would know how to say that, but right. that was pretty cool. Um, you know, and and then the various uh, spine ripping scenes, net traps. Yeah. Uh, the the almost shot for shot Billy like scene with the katana. Well, you say shot for shot, but we actually see the fight here, and this is between the predator. And a Hanzo, the uh, Yakuza, played by Louis Ozawa Changshin. Um, I think that fight scene is actually really cool. It is super cool. But what I was going to ask you, though, is did you think that those nods back and those shots, basically those, I don't want to say rip-offs, yeah, but yeah. The, the takes from the original Predator, which make up a significant portion of this movie, um, even the setting, the jungle, I mean, how did you think those worked for this film? I actually think they work fairly well. In the way that they take familiar ideas and kind of give them a little bit of a different energy. 
I think Nimrod Antel is a good director. It's weird he hasn't done a lot. He'd done the movie Armored before this, which was an action movie with Matt Dillon. And Control, which is, I think, a Hungarian or Czech movie. Yeah. And um, like, that's that's actually quite good. But like since then, his only other like really major theatrical movie was the uh, Metallica concert movie, Metallica Through the Never, which has really well-directed scenes of like apocalyptic imagery. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I'm, I'm just curious why this guy hasn't done more, considering he's obviously able to shoot action quite well mm-hmm. and makes a good-looking movie. But uh, I think he's able to find iconic moments from the original and present them in a way where they don't feel just like boring rip-offs. Because we see so many horror movie remakes, for example, where they're literally just replicating the movie. Whereas I feel like this one, he has his own idea of how he'd like to shoot these scenes and he brings his own inventiveness to it. And one of the things that we've said uh, on this podcast before... Uh, or it's come up before in, I mean, especially in some of Arnold's later movies, uh, Killing Gunther, uh, The Expendables, and The Expendables 2, and, and other movies that he's done, where you, you get kind of the impression that they're just recycling the same old, same old, and kind of winking at the camera and doing it for a laugh. Mm-hmm. And and here, I mean, they probably take more from this previous Predator movie and, and import it in, but it never really feels forced it feels like it really works with the rest of the movie yeah there's nothing groan inducing there's no homages that you just want to cringe when you see them and Mm -hmm. we'll get to a few of those in the second half of this show um yeah like i think these ones mostly work i think people are hard on it at the time but they might be a little kinder to it now (laughs) i think so and and just No, no one yells get to the chopper no, they don't. And they don't say it while, like, turning to the camera with a smirk on their face. Yeah, that's for yeah. sure. So I'm okay with it. I want to get back to that sword fight, though. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd hate to leave that out of this. Yeah. What was your take on that? I thought it was super cool. Yeah. I thought it was awesome. Um, I mean, you can almost see the producers in the studio. Um, someone says, I've got a great idea. We're going to have uh, a Yakuza gangster fight a predator with a katana yeah in a field of windy grass and you're oh, like it's so cool and you're and the and and everybody just saying you know bingo make it happen yeah i wonder if robert rodriguez was a little bit inspired by his friend quentin tarantino's work in kill bill and was like hey you know it'd be cool to have a predator have a fight with someone with a katana blade because i love how it's yeah the long grass you get these kind of graceful shots of the yakuza guy kind of getting ready to go you know back and forth in combat against this thing and taking these moments of like meditation in between almost and it's just so well done and when the two of them just collapse and it's this overhead like looking down shot of the two of them in the billowing grass oh it's just like really artfully done and this movie it would be so easy to like crank this thing out without any art in it whatsoever yeah no i mean you could you could see that easily happening and this scene being a total disappointment uh, it was a little bit convenient about how uh, he did get that katana. You know, he said, took the katana and said, this is very old. These things have been coming here for a long time. But yeah. um, as far as I could tell, that was the only old thing on that planet. <laughs> Everything else was pretty new. Let's get to how he got that sword, because this is a part of the movie that was very polarizing at the time. And I think still is to a certain degree. And that is the Lawrence Fishburne character who comes in and he's been stranded on this planet longer than our heroes. And he's kind of lost his mind a bit. He has a little bit of like a Apocalypse Now Colonel Kurtz kind of thing going on, which is kind of amusing. Yeah. Because I, I, I did notice he actually uh, 
uh, hummed uh, Flight of the Valkyries right, at, yeah, at yeah. one point. But that's kind of fun because Lawrence Fishburne, of course, was in Apocalypse yeah, Now. Yeah, so. exactly. But what did you think of these scenes? Did, they, did you feel like they dragged the movie down? Did you think they were like entertaining uh he was kind of morpheus without the kung fu mm-hmm. right he was there to spout a few bits of uh expository dialogue and then uh routinely die i thought the rave scene where everyone you know was taking <laughs> off their shirts got to be a bit much though <laughs> yeah <laughs> although adrian brody did look good oh he looked amazing <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i mean i wouldn't say polarizing it was probably the well it was polarizing at the time a lot of people hated those scenes I mean, it was probably the weakest part of the movie, I think. Um, you know, it did feel a little bit shoehorned in there as a means of, mm-hmm. um, you know, as a means of getting the heroes, you know, out of uh, out of the jungle and into a predator ship and then kind of back to another set piece. It also is obviously there for exposition. Mm-hmm. And of course, as you said, to pass on that katana blade and some of the other armor, because Walton Goggins takes that armored shield that saves his life later. Right. Uh, when he's like shiving a predator, which is a moment that I yeah, the, the never pri- knew I needed, but I'm so glad I got. <laughs> yeah, the prison shiv, uh, the prison shiv predator scene is really something to behold. I, I quite liked it. <laughs> but I've always enjoyed the Fishburne performance in this movie because it could have been boring as hell. But I think Lawrence Fishburne is just kooky enough in that role that I enjoy watching him. Like, he he holds the screen. He's not just, like, a boring exposition machine who's just dragging the whole thing down. Yeah, no, that's true. And I think that's one thing that shines through um, with this movie more than anything. You know, if you had a weaker cast or um, a weaker director, I mean, this movie could have been really bad. And um, Yeah. But as it is, even though it's very derivative... I think it's intentionally derivative, and I think it comes off as actually a really entertaining action movie and a really entertaining sci-fi movie. And I'm uh, I'm surprised that it has the kind of hate on for it that it does. Um, I mean, what do you think? I'm with you. Um, one of my favorite things about this movie, honestly, and it's something we're going to talk, I think, quite a bit about in the next half of this podcast episode. Yeah, in this movie, I really loved the practical effects work and how effective it is in this movie. Oh, yeah, man. So, I mean, the people who took over the uh, Predator effects from Stan Winston obviously had huge shoes to fill. Mm -hmm. And they did a spectacular job. Um, I think it was uh, K&B. Yeah, who did Evil Dead 2 famously, and they work on The Walking Dead now, and all sorts of horror stuff. Yeah, so, I mean, they they have their, their toes in a lot of pools. Um, but I mean, Stan Winston was—I mean, he's a uh, an industry legend, uh, and you know, coming in and trying to do the Predator uh, to the same level as Stan Winston, I think would be challenging. And I think these guys—they—they they do it. I think they cut some corners where they needed to, just probably for budgetary reasons, because obviously these Predators keep their helmets on a lot, and I think that's probably intentional just to cut down on the amount of puppeteering you have to do over yeah. the course of the shoot. But I think when they actually do have the Predator displayed in all its glory, you know, the classic one. Head on or head off. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of decapitations in this, which I love. Um, but you have the the classic one. looks fantastic. But also, when you see these new, slightly bigger Predators with their masks off, they look terrifying. Mm-hmm. And they don't move like big men in suits. They move pretty fast. Uh and yeah, they, I mean, the practical effects in this are, are really, really well done. One other thing I want to talk to you about 
is the final showdown with Adrian Brody and the Predator. When you look at the original Predator, that Arnold versus Predator uh, set piece at the end is so classic. Mm-hmm. What did you think of Adrian Brody with you know the whole fiery backdrop to this whole thing? What did you think of that mono a mono fight? I thought it was pretty cool. I mean, anytime you have fire in an action movie, uh, especially when the fire is really important to the piece, you run the danger of having bad CG fire yeah. uh, ruin things. Right. And, and here, again, it's a, a testament to the probably the special effects and the practical effects that they were doing. I thought it comes out pretty well. I mean, there there is the, the Danny Glover effect where no one's as big and strong as Arnold Schwarzenegger. Right. And, you know, if you're going to be fighting more predators uh you got to make them a little bit weaker and these predators go down fairly fairly easily i guess so yeah although i like that the adrian brody character who's a special ops black ops kind of guy i like that they establish that he's fast and that's what makes him dangerous because there's a scene with him in topher grace where he takes him down so fast and he, he says like that's my thing is my speed and so it makes sense. Like, he can take down the Predator because he has a skill that Schwarzenegger doesn't. No one looks at Schwarzenegger and says, he's fast. You know, he's obviously very strong and forceful. Whereas, like, Adrian Brody, you see him running the whole time. He's running circles around this Predator, you know, attacking it on each pass. I think that's really clever and a really fun way to convince the audience that Adrian Brody brings something to the fight that is at least on par with what Schwarzenegger would do, you know, in that their tactics are different, but they're both an equal match for the Predator. Because when you stand Schwarzenegger and Adrian Brody side by side, it's ridiculous. Because obviously Schwarzenegger <laughs> is so much... Just just a little, little bit taller. Yeah, but when you establish different skill sets and show how they're good at these different skill sets, it lets the audience buy into it, I think, better. And I think it totally works. Yeah, I, I agree with you. So all in all, you're a fan of Predators, I take it. I sure am. Okay, well, I am too. I actually enjoyed it more my second time. Um, I'm actually really kind of in the bag for this movie. I mean, look, it's not as good as the original, but then what is? Uh, but I think the Predators is a really worthy addition to the Predator mythology and to this series. I think even absent uh, a series that was preceding this, I think this would be uh, a pretty fun uh, standalone action sci-fi movie. They had planned sequels to this movie. Would you have liked to have seen those sequels? Because I would have. Yeah, me too. Yeah, it's too bad. But instead, we got The Predator. So let's move into that. So if you haven't seen The Predator... Well, it's kind of a sequel to this movie. Sort of. Yes and no. But um, we're going to move into The Predator now. So if you haven't seen it... And judging by the box office, there's a good chance of that. Yeah. So stick around for the first few minutes. We'll give our thoughts free of all spoilers... And then we'll give you a warning when we're going to go into spoilers. Okay, so yeah, you mentioned the Predator's box office. Um, Shane Black, when he signed on to write and direct this movie, he said he wanted to restore the the name of this franchise, to make it more of an event again. And he was given $88 million to do that, which I think was a very questionable idea given the history of box office for Predator movies. But nonetheless, this movie has come out and... Overall, it's probably going to wind up domestically in the mid-50s, somewhere in there. So somebody lost about $30 million on this. And worldwide, you know, it's going to be under 200 Somewhere around maybe 160 somewhere in there. That's just a guess at this point in time. 
Um, it's funny. This movie was bounced around like crazy. It went through a lot of problems in the production we'll get to later. But like this movie was scheduled for March 2nd and then bumped up to February 9th and then pushed back to August 3rd and then pushed back again to September 14th. So like the studio was just throwing this thing all over the place. But it was considered in September 14th, like this movie had a clear shot. The movie It, the Stephen King adaptation, had done really well in September last year. And they thought, well, the Predator will do well here. You know, this may be the time for it. Which seems like a bizarre assumption to make because um, I don't know how much of a crossover there is in the It, Predator, Venn diagram. <laughs> yeah, it needed kids. Oh, wait, it had one. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. But this movie got really screwed in that the week before it, the Conjuring spinoff, The Nun, opened and just made a fortune. It did incredibly well. And The Nun took a lot of business in The Predator's first week and was not that far behind it opening weekend. So, you know, fate once again has not turned out too well business-wise for the Predator franchise. Although I do wonder how many people went to the theater and were like, uh, you know, what's it going to be, The Nun or The Predator? <laughs> I think they went with the nun. <laughs> I don't even think it was a question. Well, that's what I mean. <laughs> like, if the nun hadn't been released, would they have gone to the theater at all? Yeah, yeah. Now, I'm curious, Tony, this movie, we were both, I think, very aware of it as it was ramping up to come out. We were both excited about it, I think, to a certain degree. For sure. Um, you know, I want to read this quote from Shane Black before we get into your thoughts on the movie. He said, and, Oh, and spoiler alert, for those of you who aren't aware, uh, Shane Black... Was of course a star uh, of the original Predator, uh, and, and came... star. That's what he calls himself too, the star of the movie. <laughs> yeah, Hawkins, the star. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I just want to make sure. Uh, I hope hopefully that spoiler drop was okay for you, Ken. That is just fine. Okay, so he said he wanted to capture the same sense of wonderment and newness that Close Encounters had had when that came out. That was his aim with the Predator. Now, Tony, non-spoilery thoughts. Did he succeed? Well, it's a bizarre analogy to compare a pulse weapon wielding optic camouflage using space hunter with Richard Dreyfus and a piano playing Christmas light machine. <laughs> well, I guess you have it there. <laughs> Can't argue with that. Um, so my answer in a nutshell is no. I, yeah. I think that... Uh, the Predator um, missed the mark as far as uh, being even in the same, even in the same genre, let alone the same qualitative category <laughs> as, you know, a mid-80s family-friendly science fiction masterpiece. <laughs> yeah. How, what do you think, Cam? <laughs> I do feel this movie failed to capture the grandeur of Close Encounters. Um, I thought, though, with, you know, The Predator, you have to give it points for its 25-minute John Williams-scored <laughs> operatic light show. <laughs> when that Predator ship came down and everyone gazed in wonder at the pulsing beat. <laughs> yeah, that's a really questionable analogy. I guess what he's trying to say is that he was on the younger end, I guess maybe like a teenager when Close Encounters came out and it wowed him. So he wanted to wow audiences with The Predator. I think he failed. <laughs> I think this movie, you know, oh boy. It bears all the marks of a movie that has just been mangled yeah. in the editing room. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was like you took uh, 
12 guys with MBAs who work for the studio and, and gave them all scissors. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It feels like a committee, like, didn't necessarily shoot this movie, but assembled it in the editing room. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, the whole third act of this movie was completely reshot. The teaser at the end was reshot. It was supposed to feature Schwarzenegger. And we'll get to Schwarzenegger, I think, at the end of the show. Just talk about Schwarzenegger and the franchise. Um, because the Predator franchise is really weird. Um, <laughs> and uh, The Predator's a weird creature. Yeah, and so there was a lot of studio mucking about this movie. But even just looking at it as a Shane Black movie... Free of these sort of very ham-fisted edits and all that sort of stuff that we'll talk about later in spoilers, did this feel like a movie that was bringing ideas to the table that felt like the sort of thing that would reinvigorate the Predator franchise? Not really. I I think it felt like, uh, you know when you have a bulletin board and you tack too much stuff to it and then all of a sudden your grocery list is tacked on over top of something else? Sure. And then, you know, your wedding invitation is tacked on over top of that. Right. And then your overdue phone bill is tacked on top of that. That's what this movie felt like. A bunch of unrelated things tacked onto each other. I thought it was really weird in that Shane Black is a super smart writer-director. I love, you know, the nice guys, kiss, kiss, bang, bang. I think he did really great work with Marvel on Iron Man 3, doing a lot to bring unexpected elements to a very, you know, formulaic studio picture. I think Iron Man 3 is one of the most interesting of the Marvel franchise, just for what it does that's odd and weird. And I was really hoping he would bring that to this movie, but it feels like all of the elements that this movie wants to add to the franchise... We've seen done elsewhere and better in the other Predator movies, or even AVP, and it doesn't feel like there's a lot here (laughs) that... Don't say that. Well, the AVP (laughs) movies stink, but they do, you know, attempt some of the things that this movie does as well. Like, there's not a lot that feels fresh to this movie. Instead, you get, like, a kid story, which, you know, we'll get into the details of that later, but to me, the kid stuff doesn't really work. And I think this movie fundamentally fails at something that the Predator franchise depends on to succeed, which is a likable ensemble cast. And I think the cast in this movie, in terms of the actors they've chosen, I don't think there's any like really weak choices in the group. I just think the character writing is so poor, and the characters are just kind of a mishmash of bad comedic beats. Yeah, but I mean, to be to be fair, I, I hear what you're saying, and I agree with you. I, I can't really fault the the cast of the predator anyways but if you look at for example um you know the original predator where you had uh you know bill duke and jesse venture selena lanham and arnold schwarzenegger carl weathers yeah uh and then predators with uh adrian brody topher grace walton goggins all all, lawrence fishburne all these other folks Mm -hmm. um and then you go to the predator i mean and who we got we got boyd hallbrook Trevante Rhodes. Well, you know, Trevante Rhodes is really great in the movie Moonlight. You have a lot of rising stars in this movie. Yeah, I mean, you, I guess you, we'll we'll see how it all uh, how it all shakes out. Jacob Tremblay is a really talented young actor, and you've got Keegan Michael Key of Key and Peele, Olivia Munn, who you know was involved with a scandal in this movie, and that Shane Black had his buddy, who's a oh, I heard about that. Yeah, who was Gross. a convicted sexual predator, working on the movie, and Olivia Munn was not taking it and props to olivia munn man and the fact that the cast didn't support her in this decision uh sterling k brown came around eventually in support but what the hell shane black what the hell yeah kind of a kind of a weird thing i think it really impacted the marketing of this movie to be honest that's all anyone talked about with the release of this movie which 
I would say would be unfortunate if the movie were better. You know, with the fact that the movie's lousy, it's like, well, who cares? But I, I think it raised an interesting conversation within Hollywood as to what's acceptable with your casting practices. Not to mention your disclosure practices. Yeah, exactly. But at the expense of the Predator, you know, having maybe a fair shot in the marketplace, maybe. I don't know. But who cares? The movie's not, not that good anyway. But yeah, I think in terms of a cast, it's fine. But in terms of creating a likable group of characters, did you think it was a little wobbly? Well, I, I'm not really sure what Shane Black was trying to say. I mean, every main character in this movie has some kind of uh, mental illness. Right. It's not at all clear to me if the reason they had a mental illness was um, was for comedic value or if there was some kind of a commentary yeah. on, on you know, mental illness in society. I, I don't know. I'm not really sure what he was getting at. but Yeah, Thomas it, Jane is the worst example of this. His character has Tourette's. And it's really bad. I love Thomas Jane. I've even watched like the movie The Mutant Chronicles to see him in that, <laughs> which <laughs> oh, was <man>. terrible. <laughs> that was that was a. <laughs> but I'm all that, about... that is a movie title I never thought I'd hear again. But I'm all about Deep Blue Sea, and he's great in like Boogie Nights. He is career worst in this movie. He's awful. Well, just I mean, it, it's like watching the A Team, but with everybody being Murdoch. Right. Uh, you know, there's no, uh, there's not really a straight man in this movie. If there's a straight man, it's probably Trevante Rhodes as Nebraska Williams. And I think when we came out of the movie, we kind of asked ourselves, like, why wasn't he the lead instead of Boyd Holbrook? Yeah, he was actually really good. I enjoyed mm -hmm. him a lot in the movie. But, I mean, I think where the movie really falls apart, I think you're right, it's not in the acting, it's not even really in the script, although it's not super strong. It's in the kind of bizarre editing where there's a lot of loose ends that aren't tied up and it's also in the uh i think in the effects which have the transformers effect where everything is over cg'd and yeah. uh it just looks shiny and crappy and, and fake <laughs> yeah the entire third act um which was reshot because originally it was shot in the daylight and they just realized that everything looked terrible so then they reshot it all at night it still looks terrible and so, you know, the movie just feels like kind of a mess in ways that aren't interesting. Well, I, you know what? I'm being too critical and so are you, Cam. The movie is... Not good. It's not good, but it's not terrible. It's not... But isn't that worse? Like, wouldn't you have preferred if it was just like a train wreck? I don't think I would have. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I mean, th this, this movie strikes me as kind of um, with appropriate edits... Uh, solid two-star late-night hotel room watching. Okay, well, I think that's a good note to seg into spoilers. So if you haven't seen the movie, you can tune out now. But from here on out, we're just going to spoil the hell out of this movie. Okay, so Tony, let's get into the basic plot mechanics of this movie. Where you have a predator on the run from a bigger predator. Now, this should have felt a little more interesting than it was, but having just watched Predators again... This doesn't even feel like an original idea in this movie. No, it doesn't. It's it's strange that they would pick this. I mean, uh, Predators kind of alluded to the idea of the Predators are evolving and changing. Uh, they come back season after season, and every year they come back, uh, they're different and improved. Uh, this one just took that idea and ran with it and ran in the wrong direction, I think. How so? Well... <sighs> It's one thing to allude to something mm -hmm. uh, where you're saying, you know, where the predator is a threat in the movie and you're saying, 
even though you beat them, they come back and they're harder to beat. It's another thing to make it a focal plot point about how the predator is taking DNA and injecting it into itself. And there's a civil war between the predators yeah. uh, and you got to help the, the weaker predator who's trying to save us. The, it, and it, it never really made sense and it never really mattered because at the end of the day, everyone's just blowing each other up anyways. Well, yeah, that's a good point because the uh, the classic Predator who apparently came to save us... I guess so. ...spends most of the first act of this movie and part of the second killing us. You know, it kills how many people? Lots. Yeah, exactly. So it's like... It's like... Um, remember that uh, Simpsons episode where they go to the Itchy and Scratchy Park? Yes. And the robots go nuts and they go around and they're trying to kill everyone, but they're yelling like, we love you, be our friends. <laughs> That's what the Predator yeah. in this movie it's is doing. The tough love Predator. Yeah, it's like just butchering people with its arm blades while apparently wanting to save us. <laughs> but I wanted to get also into what you mentioned, the point I think that's more damning about the movie, which is this sort of twist on its mythology where the Predators are coming to mine human DNA to add to their gene pool. I mean, this feels very much like the sort of idea that you stumble upon in the like fourth entry in your franchise, where you want to revise everything that came before. Yeah, it's the kind of thing that you find in a paperback book that you would buy at the airport. Yeah. Right? Like, um, it's not an original idea. Even when it was original, it wasn't that interesting. Well, and that's the thing. Like, Shane Black is such a clever writer, and he co-wrote this movie, I should say, with Fred Decker, who he'd worked with on Monster Squad back in the day. Um, I just don't understand why these two guys who are super smart and have a great love of genre entertainment and feel like they would have their finger on the pulse of what makes a novel an interesting take on this material. Like, what made them think that this was an interesting avenue to take the Predator? Because so much of this movie... The concepts it's introducing, you know, the Civil War thing, we see that alluded to in Predators. The Predator dogs, we see that in Predators. You know, the Predator coming to, like, the suburbs, we see that in Alien vs. Predator Requiem. All the things that this movie's kind of holding up and being like, this is the original things we're doing, we've seen done before. Usually better, maybe not in the case of AVP2, but for the most part, it's kind of doing, like, watered-down versions of these things. Yeah, there's not a lot new here and what what is new is i mean maybe we get to see a little bit more of the predator ship sure but it's not very interesting really and you get to see people like surf on top of the predator ship uh, on the force field yeah in a sequence that feels completely ripped out of alien covenant from the same studio a year before yeah no i know i know what you mean it, it is it is a little bit strange um i mean as far as positive is in this movie though yeah um was there anything that you found uh, maybe not stood out, but is there anything you found that saves this movie from the dumpster? I think there's a couple of good performances. I think Trevante Rhodes um, as Nebraska is a really good grounding force to this movie. I think he has a lot of charisma, and I think he works for the movie. Boyd Holbrook is your main lead. Uh, eh, he's okay. He's just not given a lot of interesting things to do. I think Trevante Rhodes just feels more interesting. Um, Olivia Munn, I think, is really capable. She's given some of the worst dialogue in the movie. <laughs> yeah. But I think she is totally up for the job and sells a lot of her performance in this movie. Like, I, I totally bought this character. And I think she has some really good action moments. You know, you can see why she's cast as a Psylocke in the X-Men movies. She has that physicality that totally works. The other standout for me was Sterling K. Brown 
as Traeger, who's the villain who works for... I don't... Who does he work for? Uh, it's not really clear, and I think that goes to the editing again. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he works for some sort of organization that wants to capture predators and, I guess, exploit their technology in some way. I thought he was an absolute blast. I loved Sterling K. Brown as the villain in this movie. I think he is totally aware of what kind of movie he's in and is just, like, camping it up and having fun with every line of dialogue. Um, I wish I would have seen his death scene. Apparently it happened, but I sure didn't see it. Yeah, no, I had to go back and, you know, read about what happened to him because uh, I think I missed it as well. Yeah, I was totally unaware of what had happened, but was, he's, was, he's a blast. We were in the middle of shaky cam, choppy action. Yeah. That, that, I mean, that was probably the most jarring thing for me about this movie was they spend this time, uh, I mean, not doing a particularly good job of it, but introducing all these characters. And then uh, in the last maybe 20 minutes of the film, they kill a lot of them pretty unceremoniously and quickly. Yeah. And you get the impression, again, that there's just probably so much of this movie on the cutting room floor. Yeah, because there's, I believe, rumors of characters dying earlier in the movie who were reshot to now be later in the movie. And there's all sorts of weirdness going on there. It just feels like a mishmash. What did you think of the uh, the kills in this movie? Well, I was going to bring these up because... Especially after rewatching Predators, I feel like the Predator really dropped the ball in interesting action and kills. Like, the set pieces don't feel like set pieces. They feel like just hitting a number of action beats, but kind of formlessly. Like, they don't feel like they've been tightened into a sequence. When you look at Shane Black's work in Iron Man 3, where he has, like, the rescue scene, where it's all the people falling out of the plane, that is a tightly executed sequence where there has a beginning, a middle, and an end. There's, like, the rising tension of it. The Predator needs moments like that to succeed. I mean, you look at this whole franchise, that's the best of this franchise is building tension. There isn't any. And so it, you get a lot of hack and slash type kills where the Predator just, you know, walks up to someone, runs his arm blade through him and tosses him in the air. And it's like, okay, but there's no real impact to it. Yeah, I enjoy. I thought the kills in this movie were entertaining. The uh, the guy getting cut in half with the force field. Um, That's not the predator, though. <laughs> yeah, I know. But... I agree with you. I like that part. That's <laughs> the best kill probably in the movie. But you know, there, there's a lot of good stuff in in the action. But I agree with you. There's no tension or weight to it. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, one of the things I noticed while watching this movie, especially having uh, watched Predators now, is um, the use of the score is not appropriate for this movie mm -hmm. uh both predator and predators uh do a pretty good job of raising the tension yeah throughout uh whereas this movie it feels a little bit more like a popcorn type movie uh and a little bit of an incoherent one at that and the the use of the score in it uh alan silvestri did the original score mm -hmm. of course and uh john debney did it in uh predators and i think it's effective there uh henry jackman took it over for this movie i i will say i guess i liked the score in the predator because it was recognizable i was like oh yeah i'm getting into the mood of the original predator because this score is so iconic but the footage i was actually seeing it attached to was not complimenting it well Mm -hmm. And then, and then there's the whole issue, of course, with um, uh, Jacob Tremblay as uh, Rory McKenna, who's, uh, I guess, I mean, they, they, I think they establish him as autistic, but then he's kind of on again, off again, autistic yeah. throughout the movie. Yeah. Um, you know the the 
kind of child autistic savant thing that we've seen a billion times before. Right. Uh, it was like watching Mercury Rising with a Predator. Now there's a shout out. Oh. Boy, the classics of yesterday. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> First the Mutant Chronicles, now Mercury Rising. <laughs> yeah. um, Both of which were better than uh, Close Encounters. <laughs> <laughs> Jacob Tremblay is a great young actor and he brings a lot to this performance, but it's just... It's a plot device of a character that just does not work. And, I mean, did you ever want to see a child performance in a Predator movie? No, no, never. I mean, it's not the right movie for uh, a misunderstood child subplot. Um, This kind of segs me into a question I have for you. Shane Black kind of co-wrote the original Predator. He was on set to aid with a lot of the dialogue and that sort of thing. He acted in the movie. When you watched the movie The Predator, did it feel like Shane Black understands this franchise? Again, I don't know what to attribute to Shane Black and what to attribute to the uh, 12 guys around the Fox boardroom. Well, but I mean, when you look at this movie, every character, for the most part, is an ironic character who comments endlessly on what is going on and has snarky lines. Um, People die and, like, they make jokes about it. Like, to me... That's not what the Predator franchise is. No, I agree with you. And actually, that is that is one thing. For all the cool kills that might have been in this movie, uh, when I say there's no weight, there's literally almost no uh, magnitude to these kills at all. Where, I mean, you have uh, the the group, the loonies, I guess they're, they refer to themselves as in the movie, mm-hmm. Um all of whom I think are ex-military of some kind. Right. Who start turning on these military personnel because I guess they, I mean, they've escaped from, uh, I guess, a military prison or psych ward or whatever the, yeah. whatever the bus is taking them. Uh, and just start killing them without remorse uh, at all. Right. Yeah. And yet all of these moments are just deflated by Shane Black because he wants characters to endlessly comment on kind of the absurdity of these moments. Yeah, I thought the the most heavy-handed instance of that was um, where uh, Boyd Holbrook, I think he, he sticks a syringe oh, through yeah. a soldier's eye in front of his autistic son. Yeah. And then uh, makes a quip to the guy and then uh, kind of offhandedly tells his son, don't look at the dead guy. Yeah. I thought, well, you know, that's... I mean, the the bodies are falling so fast and furious in this movie. Like, e- even autistic children yeah. don't pay them any mind. Well, it really did feel with a lot of the characters in this movie and the dialogue, it was like Shane Black giving into his worst impulses. I think he's usually pretty spot on in tone and how these yeah. characters should behave. But there's a number of characters in this movie where I was just like, this is Shane Black on, like, Overdrive. He's not writing characters the way he did in, say, like, the nice guys, but like Ryan Gosling and Russell Crowe, who are so great in that movie. The, I think the worst offenders, I mentioned Tom Jane, but Keegan-Michael Key, um, who is just this character who just endlessly makes weird jokes. And, like, these are unbearable characters to spend time with. Like, they're not fun. And to me, Shane Black characters tend to be fun to hang out with. Like, he makes fun hangout movies. And... I found it very odd that a lot of the Predator, I wanted these people to die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's you know that's not how, what you want out of your group of protagonists. No, because I mean when you look at the original Predator, 
I'm not going to say all those characters are likable people that I would want to spend time with. I don't know that Jesse Ventura and I or Sonny Landham and I would get along those characters. <laughs> but they're like magnetic on screen. And I like watching them. Whereas the group in this movie, I mean, outside of Sterling K. Brown, Olivia Munn, and Trevante Rhodes, I thought the rest were pretty disposable and in the worst cases, unlikable. Although I did like the nod out uh, having Jake Busey in there as a scientist. Yeah, who would have thought you would get a Predator 2 nod? (laughs) I thought that was well done. I I think it was pretty heavily insinuated that uh, Jake Busey was actually related to the Gary Busey character. Yeah, the same last name. Predator 2, yeah. Yeah, Keys. Yeah, I I thought that was pretty pretty neat. He didn't last very long, though. Well, he lived. He lived, but he wasn't on screen very long. No, I would like to have seen him get more to do. Yeah, I actually really, I like Jake Busey generally. I find him a pretty entertaining guy. (laughs) It's too bad he's not used more. Yeah, it's true. Now, John Davis, the producer, has said this movie sets up two sequels that Shane Black, (laughs) in theory, would have directed. You know, we talked about how at the end of Predators, we would have liked to have seen, you know, how Adrian Brody's going to get off that planet, for example, or what would happen next in that story. When the Predator ended, did you feel any real sense of, like, I can't wait to see what happens next? I mean, it's one of my beefs with uh, a lot of movies that are released these days. And it seems like it's an ongoing thing. I think studios have really realized that the money is in franchises. Yeah. And there's just this tendency for almost any movie at all to force a teaser at the end of your uh, end of the movie with the hopes of getting a sequel out of it yeah i agree and the weird thing was this movie has a teaser for a sequel in which we find out that the predator hunter technology that the humans have gotten their hands on is like a mech iron man predator suit that boyd holbrook is gonna wear apparently yeah, you know, that's made out of unconvincing CG. Yes, and he's going to, I guess, take the battle to the Predators, which we referenced earlier, the alien ship that plays a lot like Alien Covenant, that action sequence. The cliffhanger for the Predator is very similar, eerily similar, to the teaser at the end of Independence Day Resurgence, which was also put out by 20th Century Fox. I think a lot of people might have made it halfway through Independence Day Resurgence. I don't know how many people saw the end. I don't blame them. I mean, that movie had a teaser where they said, we're going to space, we're taking the fight to them. Credits. And then the movie tanked and you're never going to get a payoff to that. This Predator movie ends with, okay, we've got this armored suit, we're going to take down Predators, and you're not going to get a sequel. (laughs) Yeah, which I'm not that disappointed about. That that suit can stay, uh, you know, hanging on somebody's screensaver somewhere uh, for all time, for all I care. There's a couple of notes I want to get to before we move into Schwarzenegger and just kind of a wrap up of, of sure, the yeah. Predator franchise. The idea of a Predator fighting another Predator to me feels like it should be the most awesome thing ever, and I think the movie Predators does it fairly well, where you have the classic going up against these bigger hunter Predators. The only thing that you would think would be more awesome is an alien versus a Predator. Yes. Turns out that's not the case. That is not the case. And it's not always the case that a Predator versus a Predator is either. Yes. In this movie, The Predator, we get another case of the classic Predator going up against a bigger Predator. What did you think of this fight? I mean, it wasn't very interesting. No, it wasn't, was it? 
No, it wasn't. I mean, it was it was disappointing. It reminded me of Jurassic Park 3, where it was, <laughs> you know, the T-Rex versus the Spinosaurus. And you're like, oh my god, it's about to go down. And then it's over in like 15 seconds. No, that sounds like a, that's overestimated. Uh, it was probably more like five seconds. Yeah, well, I think the problem was was that the the large predator, like the genetically modified predator, I'm not really clear, by the way, on how adding the DNA of a smaller species turns you into a giant. Um, but yeah, that's neither here nor there. Maybe they took Arnold Schwarzenegger DNA. Maybe that's why he's not in the movie. Like you know, if you took if you took the two of us and you spliced us with like something that humans hunt, like if you spliced us with deer. Right or uh, you know, like a, a pheasant. You get that fawn from Chronicles of Narnia. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't think you'd get. You get uh, Pippin. <laughs> I don't think you'd get a gigantic, uh, fifteen foot tall Cam and Tony, <laughs> who want to go fight <laughs> lesser humans. Right. Uh, but I mean, the, the issue with it, I think, was the. Again, I think it was the overuse of CG, or what I should maybe not the overuse of CG, but the underusage of. The practical effects that have always made uh, the successful Predator movies so good. Right. No, I agree with you. And what did you think of the contributions to the mythology? You know, in Predators, you see their preserved, their weapons. Did you think this movie did anything interesting there? Because you see a different type, I guess, of Predadogs. Did that do anything for you? I don't think this movie added much of value to the Predator mythology at all. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, I think he hit the nail on the head earlier that most of what the Predator does, even the stuff that it does okay, has been done before and has been done in a more interesting way. Uh, like, even you think about Predator 2, yeah. which, you know, is... I mean, it's obviously it's, it's a totally flawed movie sure. in, in a lot of ways, but the stuff that they added in it, you got to at least give them credit uh, for for adding those things. I don't think the Predator really added anything that hadn't been seen before. No, it doesn't feel like it. And even elements that are reintroduced in a different way, like the Predadogs, I did not enjoy their use in the Predator. I actually think they're a lot of fun in Predators because they're used sparingly and they're kind of scary. Whereas like the one, <laughs> there's a couple of them in the Predator, but like one of them in particular becomes like their friend. It struck me as a kind of a bizarre nod out to the second season of Stranger Things in some ways. Okay. Um, I haven't watched Stranger Things. Oh, no. Uh, no, explain. Well, you know, where, uh, where you have a protagonist who befriends, you know, one of the monsters that was chasing them earlier. Okay. But... Kind of like when Slimer's their friend in Ghostbusters too. Yeah, a little bit like that. And I, and we've seen it in a bunch of movies again. It's, uh, I mean, the the Predator dog here was, uh, you know, totally overused CG. Um, yeah. And it just, even without that, it, I mean, it wasn't interesting and it wasn't convincing. It, it it could have been totally cut from the movie without anything at all being lost. And it also just popped up randomly, and it was it seemed to be being thrown into random scenes just through bad editing. That it felt like, where did this thing come from? Where did it go? It would just disappear from the movie and then just show up at random points. Yeah, exactly. And to me, the thing about the Predator dog is, the way it's used in the Predator, it feels like a kid's movie. Or like, it's a PG-13 movie, for example. Mm -hmm. As opposed to a theoretically hard R a violent return to the Predator's roots. You know, and I may have spoken too soon, I did kind of like the... Um... 
the use of the translator by the predator it was kind of interesting to hear what a predator had to say to people if you know if you know there was i forgot about that that's if, a good point yeah if there's anything that kind of adds to uh the predator's mythology there was some other stuff too there was some tracking technology and stuff like that so i shouldn't say it added nothing um it, it was kind of neat to see uh what the predator has to say to a bunch of people but i mean the probably the biggest issue with this movie uh, and I think you alluded to it earlier, is that the Predator, even though it's the first movie that they actually refer to it as the Predator, mm-hmm. isn't doing a lot of predating. <laughs> it's kind of just running around looking for, uh, you know, its lost iPhone or whatever it is. Yeah. And then fighting another Predator and then going back to its ship and trying to avoid people. Right. No, that's a good point. It's, and... it's not doing the same kind of stalk and hunting and killing that it, it has in the past no it's very true and one of the big bread and butter elements of this franchise is a big showdown at the end what do you think of the big showdown with the predator in this movie which one the one in the dark woods yes uh, i couldn't make heads or tails of it <laughs> uh, you know it's it suffered from shaking cam darkness i mean we didn't even know if the main villain, villain had died or not in the yeah. movie when we walked out of the theater uh, and apparently apparently he did. And apparently he was wearing a Predator shoulder cannon. And it's like, where did he get that from? I don't know. Apparently he shoots his own head off. Who knew? I mean, I did see him handling the shoulder cannon on the ship. But it, yeah. was, it wasn't clear to me that he... Yeah, was wearing it and blew his own head off. Yeah. I mean, maybe I just wasn't paying enough attention at that point in the movie. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I actually kind of enjoyed the... Um, the whole the the three the three guys on the ship with the closing force field i thought that was kind of a neat scene the the run through the forest you know it was it, it was okay but it was like i say it was plagued a little bit by um choppy editing and and shaky cam and... When, when you say choppy editing too you have olivia munn like teleporting across <laughs> yeah. many miles of woods to show up to save the day after the, the the bunch of them have gone up on that ship and then crashed i think the dog was there at that point too. i think so sure <laughs> but to me one of the coolest elements of the predator movies is that the predator is beaten through strategy at the end whether it's adrian brody or schwarzenegger uh, Danny Glover's strategy was a little wacky. I don't know that that was really that great. But um, <laughs> when you get to this movie, you just basically have a group of people all just firing guns at the Predator as it lumbers about. And, like, that's not interesting. Yeah, well, and the Predator was more or less bulletproof in, in the Predator as well, which yeah. um, was always the thing about Predator was that, you know, he was super fast, super strong, super tough, had cool technology, but if you shot him... He would bleed. Cool neon green blood. He ain't got time to bleed, Tony. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. (laughs) And I think Hollywood often makes a mistake. Bigger is not scarier or cooler. Making a predator, you know, two-thirds bigger doesn't make him somehow more interesting. Yeah, no, I I would agree with that. Especially when you've already made a bigger predator in a previous movie. Yeah, exactly. But now let's move into just the Schwarzenegger factor because they wanted him for predators. He turned them down. They wanted to have Dutch show up in this movie, setting up sequels for, you know, The Predator. Do you think Schwarzenegger would have been a good contribution to this movie? Do you think the character of Dutch even makes sense at this point? Yeah, I mean, I think he would have made sense to show up in Predator 2 or Predators. um, But I don't think 
it would make much sense to have Dutch show up in well either of the Alien versus Predator movies, which we we're only we're glossing over with good reason. Yeah. Or or this movie. I mean, I don't think it would have hurt. It just would have kind of added. Yeah. To more to the confusion. I mean, what do you think? Would would Schwarzenegger have been a good addition to this movie? Well, at the end, they reveal they have a predator hunter, and it's this, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it's this human shaped metal casket type thing, and I'm actually thinking in the theater, I think Schwarzenegger might crawl out of this thing, but then at the same point, I'm like, is a seventy year old man. <laughs> the ultimate weapon against the predators at this point when they're like towering over us <laughs> I, I i was only thinking the first part i, w- I was thinking man this has got to be arnold yeah and it wasn't um i suppose maybe it would have been or i think the, the idea was he was going to come in on a chopper at the end which by the way this movie does a get to the chopper joke except it's motorcycles it's terrible and i hate it but uh anyways schwarzenegger (laughs) schwarzenegger i guess would have come in and set up you know that they're going to team up with him and go battle the predators fine but i just don't know if schwarzenegger can save this franchise at this point like when you look at the box office returns on this franchise there hasn't been a hit predator movie since the first one (laughs) <laughs> which is hard to believe they keep making them i know it's like every 10 years or 20 years sometimes they're like you know what let's make another one and try and make a bunch of money i've got to believe that the merchandising on the predator ip sure you know that's got to be what's pushing them to make a movie once in a while you know whenever uh mcfarlane action figure sales drop or something like that I think there's a lot of money in like Predator comic books and right. statues and figures and all that sort of stuff. I know there's a lot of merch out there, so it makes sense why they want to keep it alive. But I just wonder if, I don't know, I think the problem is they want to do these Predator movies in a way that is just too straightforward and depending on familiar elements. When I just wonder if it's just time to shake it up to a certain degree. Because look, I like Predators. But it didn't wow audiences. So, you know, let's just move into a well, discussion maybe yeah, well, on the overall yeah, franchise. Yeah, well, where do they go from here? I've heard a lot of people say they would love to see a period piece Predator movie. Where, like, the Predator is hunting someone in, like, the Wild West. Or some sort of, like, warrior tribe. Or something like that. And I wonder if that like, might be more interesting just because it's something different. You know, I did see it was a, it was a fan creation that someone made on YouTube mm-hmm. uh, once of uh, the Predator stalking... A bunch of medieval characters like stalking a knight and an archer and that kind of thing. That was actually really well done and pretty interesting. I mean, I like the idea of it. It sounds kind of interesting and novel for the franchise. But at the same time, it also sounds really geeky. And I question whether that would even draw an audience. Yeah, I mean, I think the Predator's chance to shine in a weird crossover was probably the Alien vs. Predator attempts. It's a real shame that those didn't turn out better. If the first one had been good, legitimately good, I think it would have done very well. But it was not good, and it opened strong and then just dropped right off. Mm -hmm. I think that was maybe the Predator's last chance to shine for a while. Yeah, I mean... It's tough to know where the Predator can go. What I'm pretty sure of is that doing a, um, the kind of Predator, I mean, it was almost like watching Battleship with a Predator in it. Right. Uh, you know, and doing that kind of movie, which is, you know, heavily CG, not a lot of tension, popcorn action, mm-hmm. uh, 
is obviously not going to work for this franchise. Yeah. I mean, it's th- kind of three movies in a row that haven't. Uh, and uh, I would actually like to see them, you know, go back and try and reclaim a little bit of what was in Predator and to a lesser extent in Predators and Predator 2. Um, but I don't know how you do that without retreading the same old, you know, band of people in the jungle trope again. Yeah, I know. It's tough. I wonder if you could do something with a really, really stripped down Predator movie. Make it cheap. You know, Blumhouse Productions does a lot of really creative horror movies on very small budgets. I wonder if you could do something with a Predator movie where it's all, you just, all these elements of this sci-fi mythology, uh, you know, elaborate weapons, like strip it all away and do something very back to basics and give it to like a really stylish filmmaker to shoot it kind of quickly, like bring a lot of energy and tension back to it, and put it out, see how it does, and if the movie's cheap, you could benefit a lot. If the movie costs like say five million, ten million, and it ends up grossing like forty or fifty, then that really does open the door to continue doing these kind of sequels, and that you can kind of build on them in fun little ways. What do you think about maybe a drama? Oh, okay. Maybe well, like The Age of Innocence with a predator. Yeah, or you can see the predator at home. Mmm. Staring contemplatively out the window. Yeah, the predator writing his memoirs. Mm. No, no. <laughs> like reciting his memoirs <laughs> to a young boy who's learning lessons about life or, from this old predator. Yeah, or, you know, a little predator girl with predator ringlets. <laughs> coming down from her little predator head it's like anne of green gables <laughs> exactly little house on the predator <laughs> come back daddy anytime <laughs> but it does feel like the predator as a blockbuster franchise I mean, I feel like that opportunity dried up with Predator 2 because <laughs> that movie wasn't popular. You know, I, I mean, they kicked out Predators and that was after the two, I believe it was after anyways, the two Alien versus Predator movies. And, you know, if if that movie couldn't jumpstart the franchise, yeah. it's really hard to think about what will. Because, I, I mean, I think as far as taking that property and retreading what worked and upping it a little bit, I, I think that really did it about as well as it as could be expected yeah and it's unfortunate that the predator uh the the latest one here is just such a disappointment should there have ever been a sequel to predator that is an excellent question um i i really don't know certainly nothing has ever n- none of the what is it now five yeah movies that have come after it have uh come close to the original but i mean it's hard to have anything come close to to Predator. I mean, Predator is such a phenomenal action movie, such a phenomenal sci-fi movie. Right. Uh, you know, the movies that have come after it, Predator 2 and Predators, uh, you know, both of which are okay. Uh, I mean, I can watch those movies again. Mm-hmm. Um, the next three, not so much. Right. It's kind of like the Jaws franchise where you have like a real classic... And you can never replicate that because so much of the original is about surprise and the tension of this unknown entity. And that when you try and replicate it, you get like Jaws 2, which is fine, but it's kind of like an imitation version. Yeah. And there's only so much you can do. And that ultimately it just, it's kind of diminishing returns and that it just becomes less interesting. And I think... It's a problem that has a, a lot of horror franchises. Oh have. yeah, big time. 
right? Like, once you have the reveal. Yeah, or same with comedy. Comedy also, like horror, depends on surprise. And if you remove that from the equation, it's very hard to create something that's really, really great. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, ultimately, I think that's the Predator franchise. I hope they kind of give it a break. I think this movie, you know, this well, movie was a real underperformer. I think we can rest assured <laughs> yeah. that a break is coming. But I hope they don't, you know, in like four years or three years, be like, you know what? We got another idea for The Predator. Because it seems like the Terminator movies keep crapping out. And they're like, you know what? Who cares? We're going to make another one. <laughs> yeah. Well, and God bless them for trying. Sure. But, you know, I'd really like to see them give this, yeah, give this franchise over. give At least give the IP over to... Maybe an up-and-coming director at some point. I think four years, five years from now would be a, a, a good timeline. I say longer. Yeah, maybe a little longer. Give but... it ten. <laughs> but give it, give it to someone who's got a little bit of energy, got a little bit of a fresh look, yeah. and some real skill behind it yeah. um, with a decent cast and a decent script, and, and see where it goes. And I think, I mean, the studio's got to know now that, you know, after four kind of duds and some of them made by great filmmakers like shane black is really great yeah, or arguably five kind of duds yeah um at least box office wise uh you know the the sixth one is not possibly... gonna turn it around very yeah. likely the sad thing is i actually wouldn't be surprised if we saw something like a you know a predator tv series or something something like that which you know it's hard to imagine that being very good yeah coming to you soon on stars yeah exactly <laughs> okay well just a quick ranking how do you rank the predator movies um are we including the alien versus predator movies if you want to um i i can't recall much about them to be honest i'd, I'd probably put those at the bottom and okay well let's start at number one obviously the original right obviously i mean let's not ask stupid questions yeah, what's the second best uh you know what I'm kind of torn between Predator 2 and Predators, but I'd have to go with Predators. Yeah, I go the same, Predators. So my third is Predator 2. Do you follow there? Uh, I'm, I'm with you. Okay, fourth? Fourth, um, you know, for all its flaws, uh, I'd have to probably put the Predator on there. Um, and then following that, it, it's it's probably a little bit of toss-up. Uh, I know that uh, Alien vs. Predator Requiem was rated R, but they were both pretty bad movies. Yeah. How about you? Yeah, I mean, you know what? I'm right along with you, pretty much. I Yeah, fourth place was The Predator, uh, Shane Black's film, followed by AVP, the first one, which is bad, but it's not unbearable. Um, it's pretty close to unbearable, though. And then <laughs> last place is Requiem, which I think is abysmal. Like, it's incompetently made where you can't even make out almost anything that's happening on screen. <laughs> They're both it's, pretty bad. It's like they poured ink on the print. <laughs> yeah, um, so I mean, let's put it this way. I mean, we're at episode uh, 18 of this podcast. We're probably uh, uh, about halfway done. Most of the Arnold Schwarzenegger canon. Uh, eh, somewhere in there, yeah. Somewhere in there. Um, you know, There's a lot of other topics we want to tackle, but in terms of the movies, yeah, sure. Yeah, so... If we end up doing an AVP, an AVP Requiem retrospective, uh, what that means to you, good listener, is that we're going to be pretty hard up for topics. Because um, <laughs> those are two movies I don't want to watch again. Good call on that one. <laughs> yeah. That'll be the episode right after uh, coverage of all the uh, Japanese Arnold Schwarzenegger commercials. <laughs> yeah, those, those are the, that's, the, that's the episode that you get for free after... Yeah. <laughs> After subscribing, 
No, that's the episode where when you listen to it, it's two new hosts who have inherited the podcast. <laughs> that's right. And they're rebooting with AVP for some reason. It's it's like The Apprentice <laughs> with Arnold Schwarzenegger. That's a perfect way to end that. Yeah. And next week, we're going to get back to Arnold Schwarzenegger because we ended up bumping this movie which was supposed to be this episode, number 18, but we ended up bumping it to next time because of the Predator being in theaters. So we're going to go to Red Heat, the movie we've now put off for a bit. Yeah, which I'm actually looking forward to. I haven't seen Red Heat in ages. Yeah, me neither. Uh, uh, and I'm I'm sure most people haven't. Red Heat is not a movie that people talk about. It's... Uh, it is not at the top of the uh, of the 1980s Arnold Schwarzenegger list. Yeah, we had a conversation off air earlier tonight about the most forgotten Schwarzenegger movies. Red Heat has to be up there. It might be, although I'm I'm kind of leaning towards uh, Collateral Damage or maybe The Sixth Day. The villain is obviously the winner. Yeah, but... <laughs> yeah. Anyways, maybe that's maybe that's a better episode than our AVP episode. Sure. Okay. So of course, if you want to get hold of us, you can email us at arniegeddonpod at gmail.com you can find me on twitter at cam v is in very ugly those predators are smith tony how can they get hold of you tony g that's tony like the name g like the letter at arniegeddon.com and if you have downloaded or you're streaming this podcast and you enjoy it please uh, feel free to leave us uh, a rating or a comment or a combination of a rating and a comment. It does help us get our podcast out there to more eager Schwarzenegger fans. Definitely. Okay, so we'll be back. This time, we promise, with <laughs> Red Heat. <laughs>